Hey friends, Christine here. I wanted to share a special announcement with you before today's podcast interview begins. Now through November 30th, 2019, I am hosting a 30 book giveaway on my website. The Lord has blessed me with the chance to collaborate with the publishers of almost all the Hope and Help Project guests I've interviewed this year, and the result being three different book bundles of 10 titles each that are going to be delivered to three different winners. I am so grateful for the generosity of the publishers who have agreed to align with my mission of providing gospel hope and help for life's challenging problems. You can enter to win a bundle of your very own by visiting faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. The giveaway information is at the top of the page and you can click on the button there to find out all about the details. The three winners will be announced on December 1st, 2019. Please help me spread the word about this really incredible giveaway. By doing so, you also help to raise awareness about this podcast, as well as the helpful books that our podcast guests have written. You can also access the giveaway link by scrolling down to the show notes and clicking the link listed there. Thank you so much for your continued support, friends, and enjoy the show. Hey friends, welcome to the Hope and Help Project, the podcast that cultivates compassionate biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. I'm your host, Christine Chapel, and I'm really glad you're here to join in on today's conversation with Joel Fitzpatrick. Today we'll be talking about Joel's book, Between Us Guys, Life-Changing Conversations for Dads and Sons, to discuss how both parent and child can lean into important conversations with the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If this is your first time listening to the show, be sure to learn more about the Hope and Help Project by visiting faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. The link is posted in the show description, and by visiting that page, you can learn all about the mission of the podcast. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Joel Fitzpatrick has served as an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church in America with a focus on youth and family. He received his MDiv from Westminster Seminary, California. He is the co-author of Mom, Dad, What's Sex? and contributed chapters to the Sinner and Saints devotional, 60 Days in the Psalms. Joel lives in Southern California with his wife and their two children. You may also know Joel from the hilarious podcast show, Front Porch with the Fitzes, which also features his mom, Elise Fitzpatrick, his sister, Jessica Thompson, and his father, Phil, or sometimes known as Popsicles. <laughs> I wanna let you know that Joel and I had a funny start to the recording of this interview when I happened to mention the name Fabio. If you hear the name Fabio dropped in this conversation and you wanna know where that all came from, check out the show notes page Page and click on the link to the Front Porch with the Fitzes episode where Joel gives a little background to the story. Be prepared, the Fitzes are cheeky, but it is so much fun to listen to. Hey there, Joel. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Your new book is entitled Between Us Guys, Life-Changing Conversations for Dads and Sons. And I have to admit, as a mom peeling open the pages, I felt a little bit like I was eavesdropping on some really formative conversations. Before we dive into our conversation, would you mind taking a few moments to share about the book and explain why it was so important to you to write it? This book actually was developed kind of in a strange way, um, very different from other books that I have, I've written before. Uh, this book, actually, the publisher contacted me to write it, and 
I was a little bit hesitant, but then as I started to do research into the area of how to help our sons grow in light of the gospel, I noticed that there just wasn't a lot there. So I was like, man, I, I think that this is a space that I can write into. And as I started to do that, I realized when I was growing up, I didn't have anybody having these conversations with me. My dad is a great guy. Uh, if you've ever met him, you love him. He's like one of the sweetest men you'll ever meet in your life. But he and I never really had those like really deep conversations about how the gospel transforms every area of my life. And then I started to think about my own parenting of my son. And I realized that, man, I was falling into the same trap. I was busy at work. At the time, I was dealing with some health issues. I was busy, you know, working with all these people around me with their kids because I was a pastor of youth and family. And so I was working with other kids. But my own son and I weren't having these sorts of conversations. And so what you read when you read this book really is, in, in a very real sense, a, a sort of distillation of the conversations I was having with my son and with, with the boys in my youth group as I was helping them struggle with what it meant to be a man in light of what Jesus has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection and ascension. I really love this idea of dads spending time with their sons, talking to their sons about things that are deeply important to their boys, deeply important to the world, and that the gospel has transformed the way we interact with them. So, yeah, that's why this book was, uh, it became more and more important to me as I wrote it. And I really saw, like, wow, this is a space where busy dads could use help because I can use help. Right. And um, so, yeah, that's why I loved writing this book. I really enjoyed reading it, even though I am not a dad, I am a mom, but um, I mm. really did like the way that it was laid out on the inside to where somebody could really just pick up the book and they don't have to put a whole bunch of forethought into it. They just read it and it gives you, you know, here's how you have a yeah. conversation about it. And uh, I, yeah. really, I really appreciated you took the time to do that, that work for dads up front. Now, something that has really gotten a spotlight in the media recently is culture's view on manhood. This is also a question you present in the book, helping readers to give thought to what it looks like to be a man, specifically a Christian man. Can you compare the cultural and biblical views of manhood to give us a solid foundation for our discussion today? Yeah, this is a really big place right now uh, in, in American culture, This uh, trying to answer this question of what it means to be a man. On the one hand, you have uh, the Me Too movement that's brought light, and then the Church Too movement that's brought light on, in a really, um, I think, some ways very healthy way to toxic masculinity, to men who abuse their power to take advantage of the situation and take advantage of women. You have movies that are constantly talking to our boys. You know, me and my kids, we love to watch movies. We watch Disney movies, we watch Marvel movies, Star Wars movies, and in each of those sorts of movie genres, uh, there are portrayals of manhood. So you have a guy like Thor, right, in the Marvel movies, who's big and strong and brash and, you know, everybody loves him. He's a little bit rude. You kind of get the sense that he's kind of into women some. And then you have Tony Stark, who's totally into himself, into money. 
into his own fame. And then at the end, you know, is shown in this really beautiful picture of him dying for his friends to save people, which, by the way, if you haven't watched Endgame, I'm sorry, I just gave it away. <laughs> but quite frankly, quite frankly, um, you know, it's this beautiful picture of almost, and this may sound crazy, but it's almost like this Christ-like moment, right? And so there we have another picture of a man. And then you've got Harry Potter and you've got all of these other things that are telling our sons what it means to be a man. They go on their video games and they're playing video games and they're hearing other men talk to them, saying things. Uh, the world is just feeding our kids all of these pictures of manhood saying manhood is either like sexual conquest or being um, being really physically strong and dominating people or it's being really intellectually strong and dominating people. But the Bible comes in and gives us like a totally different picture. It gives us a picture of manhood that's centered around Jesus. Um, you know, we have all the same sorts of pictures that the world has, right? You have, you have Abraham, who was a weak man, um, who gave up his wife twice to different kings out of fear. You have David, who was a rich man, who dominated, uh, who dominated Bathsheba uh, with his power. You have uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who looked at the kingdom, look at the world I built, right? Um, you have all these different pictures of men. And then you have Jesus, this singular man, this man who didn't use his power to dominate other people, but used his power to sacrifice his life so that other people can flourish. You see, this is, this is the solid foundation of manhood that we need to start building from. It's the perfect righteousness of Christ. It's his self-sacrificial love. It's his giving himself to other people. It's him laying his life down, like I said, so that people can flourish. And people he's never met could flourish for the joy that was set before him, right? He right. endured this cross, despised the shame, all of that, so that we could then live. And so what that means is that for our sons, we're able to put up a real contrast between what the world says is a man and then what we see in Jesus. And we're able to say, son, we're so tempted to be this other person that the world calls us to be. And yet the beauty is when we have faith in Christ, the gospel transforms our desires and it transforms us so that we are changed into someone who no longer lives to just serve their own desires, but we're changed into people who live for the flourishing of others. And when we fail to do that, and we live to dominate, we live to domineer, we live to get our own needs taken care of, man, we have Jesus's perfect righteousness so that we can know we're forgiven and we can start back again. That's the beauty of biblical manhood. And that is so much of what I think, um, as I've done the research for this book and gone out now and spoken to so many dads, that's so much of what was missing. The church had swallowed wholesale this idea of power, of political power, of dominance. And now we're starting to rediscover in a way, in a sense, the beauty of the generosity of God through Jesus for us. I think my favorite line early on in the book is, quote, I feel like a dork. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I said, you know what? I bet that 
I I don't because it's not my conversation. It's my husband's mm-hmm. conversation. But I can understand why someone would be reading the introduction to this book and, hey, we're about to have these really deep conversations about these really meaningful, important topics. And I kind of feel like a dork for working up to do so. I think that it so perfectly encapsulates how parents, especially fathers, can feel when they are gearing up to have those meaningful conversations with their sons. So why do you think dads sometimes struggle to discuss biblical manhood in the first place? Yeah, I think there are a lot of reasons. The first reason I think is fear. I think the dads are afraid to talk to their sons about biblical manhood because they know their sons are watching. They know that their sons see the way that they live and they know that they may not be the greatest example of biblical manhood. Mm -hmm. I think also there's fear there that they don't really know what to say. And as men, we really haven't been grounded in the reality that in some sense, it's okay to not know things. This goes back to the whole kind of biblical manhood versus the culture's idea of manhood. So we've been grounded in this reality that we have to be a rock, we have to be an island, we have to be self-sufficient. And so we're afraid to show weakness to our sons. I think also men, they're just super busy. And, you know, they work all day long, and it's like the last thing they want to do is come home and have a deep conversation. And yet, you know, you know that that's what you need to do with your boy, but, you know, you're kind of afraid, you don't really know, you're busy, you're tired. Right. It's not the right night. Next thing you know, the day is gone, right? Um, So I think that all of these things kind of feed in to uh, this reality that dads struggle with it. Last thing I want to I want to say on this is I think a lot of dads don't know how to apply the gospel to themselves. Mm. I think a lot of dads uh, struggle with I know I do. I did writing this book. I was struggling with saying like, man, how does the gospel transform the way I look at money or the way that my friendships are shaped and formed? Dads struggle with that. And so when you're afraid and you're tired and you don't want to show weakness, then It gives you all the excuses in the world to not go out and have these conversations, the very things that our sons need, right? Right. Um, And so I think that as dads begin to soak in the reality of the gospel for themselves, it takes these conversations from being a burden and it makes them something that's like life-giving and joyous because as a dad, you start to hear these words for yourself and you're like, oh, dang, if this is really true then that means that I'm forgiven too, Mm -hmm. right? That I'm free from having to be perfect too. That I can actually live and struggle and love and try and fail and it's gonna be okay. You know, God's God's not gonna hate me for it. And so I think all of those feed into this reality that when you sit down with your son, You look at him, and as a dad, you've got the deer in the headlights look, and your son has a deer in the headlights look, and your son's thinking to himself, is this the talk, you know? (laughs) Are we only going to talk about sex this time? Mm -hmm. And as a dad, you're like, well, actually, I want to talk about something else, you know, but I don't really know how to. And so hopefully this book becomes like a resource to help dads work into those conversations. Well, let's take a look at some of the topics you wrote about in the book. 
friends play a huge role in our children's lives, and they can really become a source of negative or positive influence. But sons also need to understand how to respond to the hurt, pain, and betrayal that sometimes accompanies friendship. What are some of the things a dad might help his son to learn when it comes to navigating friendships, and how does the gospel help to comfort our boys when they have been let down by someone they trusted? Yeah, I think this is a really important thing. Uh, my son goes to a public school, and so he's constantly dealing with issues with friends, right? It's not like this doesn't happen in a private school or even in homeschool, but in public school, a lot of times this is uh, this is amplified um, because, you know, uh, these kids, they're just raised with different values, different worldview. And so what happens is, is that as a dad, I can come in with the wisdom of experience and I can help my son begin to walk through relational difficulty because I've walked through it myself and I've experienced the grace of God as I've gone through these relational issues. You know, the interesting thing is, is so much of the Proverbs is all about like a dad talking to his son, right? At least like the first seven chapters, you read that all throughout Proverbs, like uh, my son, my son, my son. And as dads, we get this beautiful opportunity to be involved in our son's lives. So what that means is that as dads, you know, we actually have to like listen to what's happening in our son's lives. Um, <laughs> my son is a is an introvert, so sometimes it's really hard to pull him out to get him to talk to me about what's going on with his day. But you know, good questions leading into that and listening to his answers, especially with what's going on with his friends, allows me to then peek in on stuff and say, "Man, like, I totally know what it's like." to be betrayed by one of your friends. Let me tell you a story, son. And then I can help him see himself in the broader story of, of what Jesus has done. Jesus Jesus is this, this guy who, man, he had these friends who were all tight with him. And then at the moment that he needed his friends most, one of his friends betrayed him, denied, or betrayed him, another friend denied him, and the rest of them disappeared on him. Mm. And like, son, you can know that Jesus right now knows exactly what's happening with you. But the beauty about Jesus is he will never betray you. He'll never deny you. He'll never bail out on you. Jesus will always be with you. You see, that's how you make that bridge, that conversation, that thing that like changes to draw your son into the gospel to help him see how Jesus transforms our friendships. And then you can say to your, to your son, like, bud, you know, God calls us then now in light of what he's done for us standing in Jesus's perfect righteousness. God calls us to now go out and live as good friends, friends who don't betray friends who don't deny friends who don't bail out, but friends who stick with their friends even when it's difficult. And that's how you start to make those beautiful, those beautiful ties to the gospel that help your son see how Jesus transforms everything. That's really super encouraging, a great reminder for that particular issue. The topic of identity is 
also a critical area of contention in the Christian life, let alone in the lives of our sons. Expectations from school, sports, extracurricular activities, parents, the church, and even the child's own ambitions for themselves can contribute Mm. to all kinds of insecurities and anxieties. I know I talked a bit about this with your sister a few months ago Mm -hmm. with her new book, (laughs) and so I thought I'd bring it up with you too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In your book, I really love the chapter about identity because our children aren't the only ones who have this problem it's moms and dads too this is really Mm. dads have this problem and sons have this problem Oh, totally yeah you write in the book quote this new identity that god gives us sets us free from having to look at our job school or even people's opinions of our work to feel like we are accepted so why do you think that this is a truth that needs to be discussed early on with our children? And what should a dad do if, while reading your book, he discovers he has been pressuring his son into a false identity? Wow, what a great question. So as dads, we can uh, begin to notice how we've set up the world around us so that our kids always have to obey what some people call little L laws, right? I mean, we tell our kids when to wake up, what to wear, what not to wear, what to eat, when to eat, when they can go to the bathroom, when they can't go to the bathroom, what they need to clean, what they need to do. We hold out grades. I mean, think about this. For for our kids, every time they turn in an assignment, it gets a letter grade. (laughs) Like, our whole, our whole system, just for our kids to make it, I've got a kid who's a, who's a junior in high school, is getting ready to go into college, and her whole life right now is wrapped around this reality that she's got people telling her, oh, you need to be more beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not coming from me and her mom, but it's coming from people at her school. You need to be more beautiful. You need to dress this way. You need to get these kinds of grades so you can make it into this kind of school so you can have this kind of life. Everything in our society is based around performance. I mean, I couldn't even imagine if we had to give a letter grade to everything that I turned in at work. I mean, that would just be <laughs> every email I sent that got a letter grade. Like that, yeah. you, would, you would die under the pressure. Mm-hmm. And our kids live in this sort of pressure cooker. And so, you know, some of the things that dads can help their sons uh, – realize is that their son's identity there's the your love for your son isn't based on how good how well your son does how good your son is at obeying the rules how much you uh, appreciate your son only when he succeeds like those are really dangerous things that dads, we, we need to be aware of. And we can help our sons to be grounded in the beauty of the gospel through the way that we turn to our sons and we love our sons even when they fail. This, this, was, this was a big thing uh, for me. Uh, recently, I was reading a book called I'm Proud of You. It was the story of Fred Rogers, who's Mr. Rogers, and his uh, interaction with a newspaper guy. And the newspaper guy, the writer of this book, uh, was talking about how he had never heard his dad say to him, I'm proud of you. And that's like the thing that he longed for throughout his whole life was to just be settled in his dad's love, to be settled in his dad's 
approval of him. So I was like, well, that's a really interesting thought. Like, I'm going to try this with my son and just see what happens. So my son came home from school and he hadn't done terribly well on the test. And I think my son was expecting me to say something different to him because I was like, but I want to talk to you. And I told them, I sat down with him. I said, look, like, yeah, let's recognize this for what it is. You didn't do great on it. But I want to tell you that I'm thankful that you're my son, that I'm, I'm proud of you in spite of this fact, because you're my son and I love you. And I love you whether you succeed or you fail. Now, what that did for my son, and I think what it does for so many other boys and so many other men who realize that they need to live up to a standard that they can never reach, what it does is it it's like a weight comes off of their back. Yeah. Because they hear, they hear in that moment of me speaking, I love you in spite of your failure. They hear the voice of their good father, the God, the father speaking that to them saying, I love you. Even when you sin, I love you. They hear the voice of their savior. I love you. Even, even though you nailed me to the cross, I love you. You see that frees them up. And so dads, if you're a dad who sits at this sort of performance mentality in your house where it's like succeed or I'm angry with you, mm -hmm. man, what a beautiful opportunity you have now to go and model the gospel to your son, where you can walk up to your son and you can look at him in the eyes and you can say, son, I've realized this is what I've been doing to you and I failed you. Please forgive me. I, 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 I need you to know that I was wrong for doing that. Forgive me. And I'm going to commit from here forward to do my best to try to remember that our performance doesn't, doesn't um, lead to our love for each other. But your performance, I love you whether you're great or you're mediocre or you strike out. Like I love you in spite of all of that not because of what you do and what you can give me, but because you're my son and I love you. I really love the way you take a conversational tone in this book. It's written in such a way that it appeals to how a boy might speak or even think, not to say anything of your writing. I'm sure you could write very prolific things, but, <laughs> but for this book, you really toned it down and made it to be, you know, something tangible for the younger man. You write, money is pretty cool. We can do fun things with money, can't we? And it's true, we sure can. But the point of the chapter that you wrote on money isn't to celebrate video games we can buy and the candy we can enjoy. It's to help mold our son's view about what it means to have money, but for money not to have us. I feel like children pick up a lot from what we model as parents, especially when it comes to how we view money on a day-to-day -day basis. So how does the gospel encourage dads and sons to embrace a posture of generosity? And what are some practical ideas they might pursue to practice it? Yeah, I mean, this is one of these things that I absolutely love to talk about because I grew up with a view of money. I mean, my family was poor. We didn't have a lot of money. So then when I got money, you know, when I started to get a job, I thought to myself, like, wow, here's all this money. Like, I'm going to just go buy everything I want to buy. Yeah. You know, I really, I've always wanted, I'm going to go crazy and buy it all. <laughs> um, and I think that boys can, can think that way. 
And if we aren't talking to them about money, if we aren't talking to them about the proper wise use of money, then what they can do is they can see it and they can say, man, I worked to earn this. So now I'm going to use this to please me, to pay me back for the work that I've done. And in so many ways, that's, I mean, that's how we live, right? Uh, I get, I get extra money on my paycheck. We go out to dinner to celebrate, right? I earn some extra money on a weekend preaching. Next thing you know, I've got a new set of headphones, right? And our kids pick up on that. I just had a conversation this last week with my son about this, um, about this very topic. Uh, he and I have talked about generosity a ton over the years. He just turned 13, so now money is becoming much more tangible to him, right? He understands the concept of money now in a way that he didn't understand it when he was six. And he and I got to talk about the reality that God was incredibly generous with us Ephesians 2 comes to mind, and I think about it in this way, right? But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and he raised us, right? So that he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us. This whole thing is summed up, the, the idea of salvation is summed up in this, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift. It's a gift given generously by God to us, a gift that was immensely costly to him. I think of Philippians, right, where Jesus didn't seek, didn't think that equality with God was something to be grasped, that, you know, heaven and all of the riches and beauty of of being the son of God was something that he needed to hold on to super tightly. Now, instead, what he did was he opened his hands in generosity towards us, and he became one of us. He actually left aside his riches to come to be one of us, to be poor, to be weak, to feel in his body, to feel what it's like to be us so that we would experience the generosity of God. You see, this then changes the way that we deal with money ourselves, right. and it changes the way that we talk to our kids about money, right? We say to our kids, like, look, man, yeah, buying a video game, super cool, right there with you. Like, I would love to sit down and play a video game, if you actually would, Dad. If you don't want to play a video game, don't say that. Don't lie. Your right. kids know. <laughs> um, you know, like, but say something that you would like to buy, that your kids would know that. You know, if you're a book guy, man, I'd love to buy a book. If you're a car guy, man, I'd love to use my money to buy a new part for my car. Your kid gets that, right? You say that, and then you say, but the beauty is that I now get this great gift from God. This gift of salvation that makes me, like Romans 8 says, it makes me an inheritor, uh, someone who inherits the kingdom of God so that I have all of the riches I need already there. So that now this temporary money that you and I deal in, I can be generous and give it to other people and not be stingy and hoard it for myself. I can be generous and give it to other people because God has secured my inheritance for me. That's a way of thinking that you have to say to your kid 25 times, right? Like your kid's not going to get that right off the bat. 
But when it starts to, to like get hold of your child, then it helps them to see the beauty of generosity. So what are practical ways to do that? One, encourage your kid to be generous. Encourage your kid to be generous with poor people, especially people who have nothing that they can give back to your kid. That is such a beautiful picture of, of Christ-like generosity. So go serve at a soup kitchen. Go give money to a homeless outreach. Go give your time, give yourself, and do it with joy in your heart, dads. Um, don't do it grumbling because your kids will see that. And then they'll think, oh, giving money away and giving away my time, it's just a big pain. Do it with joy in your hearts. Pray and ask God to give you the joy to do it. And then go and serve and love and experience the beauty of being generous with people. And your kid will catch fire with that reality and your kid will want to be generous to you. And then you can encourage your kid at school to be generous. You can be generous with your kid, you know. My son loves, loves Legos. And for the longest time, he never had any money and he knew it and he knew he couldn't pay for the Legos. But you know what? Man, that's the beauty of being a dad. You get to be like this person who creates these situations that are totally unexpected for generosity. Just like the dad in the prodigal son, right? Who, who gives his son his signet ring and his belt and his staff, essentially gives him his like credit cards, right? right. Um, it's like, here you go, son. Like have at it after his son had told his dad, I want you dead. And I want my inheritance now to go blow on wine and women. Man, that's generosity. And we get a chance now to begin to, in small ways, bring our sons in, showing them generosity, and then helping them see how to be generous with other people. I really appreciate that you made the point while you were talking about having to repeat these conversations a number of times. I think that there can be a tendency to approach discipleship with our children uh, whether it's fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, or whatever the arrangement might be. And we feel like, well, if this doesn't make a difference today, then it's a waste of time, you know? Mm. And mm -hmm. so we forget that a lot of this is seed planting for yeah. future harvests and not necessarily, uh -huh. we're not going to necessarily always see the fruits of these really meaningful conversations totally. right then and there, but having, you know, the faith in God, that God will honor the word that mm -hmm. goes out. It will not return void. And just mm -hmm. knowing that it's better to have these conversations than not to, and let the world have them with our kids yeah. um, because that would be far more damaging in the long mm -hmm. run uh, for our kids. So I appreciate you making that point. Now, not only is money cool, but in your words, Girls are pretty cool. And you said that well, with they a, are. <laughs> you said that with an exclamation point. So I feel mm -hmm. like you're serious about it. Mm -hmm. I just want to say thank you for saying that mm. um, about us. I really appreciate it because I didn't feel too cruel this morning as I was looking at my messy hair. But even with the hat on today, I feel like because you mm -hmm. say we're cool, I'm legit. So I love that you write about what it looks like to give women the love and respect they deserve. How does a gospel-centered view of women inform the way we encourage our sons to interact with the opposite sex? And what can we learn by looking to Christ as an example here? Yeah, well, first of all, I got to say, when I woke up, I didn't look like Fabio myself. <laughs> I was I was a little scraggly beard over here and like some crazy curly oh, hair. Oh, you did it. Um, oh yeah, totally. I did it. I was, I've been waiting this whole time. Oh man. It's been um, cooking. It's been cooking. It's been, it's been there. I almost dropped Fabio in, in the, like, uh, in the, in the cultural view of manhood, but you know, I'm like, whatever, I'm going to save him for later just to see if I can sneak him in. 
So, you know, the beauty of this conversation is so often when boys think about girls, when dads talk to their sons or parents talk to their children about the opposite sex, the conversation is is centered around sex. Um, It's centered around physical attraction and what's right and not right. And like, listen, I'm not saying those aren't important uh, discussions to have. I think those are incredibly important discussions to have. In fact, I wrote an entire other book about that mm-hmm. uh, along with my sister, which is weird, but that's okay. Just <laughs> just roll with it, right? Like we said before, I'm yep. a dork. Um, <laughs> so I think it's so important for dads to begin to, in their own lives, to begin to look at women not as things that they want to use for their own ends, but as image bearers, as people, human beings who are created in the image of God and are worthy of all of the respect and honor and care and love that any other image bearer is worthy of. A lot of times we in the church, and this, I think especially in like the conservative church, mm-hmm. We have this tendency to view women as somehow less than a man. Mm-hmm. And maybe we would never say it, right? right. But we treat them that way. Oh, they're, the, they're the, weak, the weaker vessel, right? And we use that sort of language to, to excuse our desire to, um, or our uncomfortability with uh, seeing women flourish in all the ways that God has created them to flourish. This is where I think the gospel comes in beautifully because Jesus, (laughs) I was just reading, uh, you know, here's Jesus, he walks into a room and he allows, I, I mean, this just blows my mind. He allows a single woman to pour ointment on him and then wash him, Right. wash his feet. He doesn't say to her, oh, that's inappropriate and affection. I'm single, you're single, like we need distance, mm-hmm. right? Um, no, he allows her to serve him in that way and to love him in that way. I think about someone like Lydia, right? Who, who was the, the first convert in Europe. Just put that, like, put that in your brain and think about that for a little while. First convert that we hear of Paul's ministry in Europe. And who is she? She's a single, most likely, that's what most of the commentators say, either by, you know, divorce or a, or she's a widow or she was just single. Um, but she's a single businesswoman who then goes on to fund a church plant out of her own money, right? You see, this is, this is the beauty. And I can just go on and on with examples, right? I mean, from Priscilla being the one who a lot of scholars say uh, was the one who taught Apollos, who discipled Apollos. So to Timothy's grandmother and mother, who God used to build up this pastor. And I can go back and look in my own history, and I can see my sister, my mom, my aunts, my uncles, strong women in the church. You see, that's the sort of thing that our sons need to hear. Our sons need to hear that women have so much more to offer than just like the fruit of their womb, right? right. Um, that women have so much more to offer us as men to hear, to think about, to struggle with, to wrestle with. And we need to, we need to give women 
as dads, we need to give women, and especially our wives, um, if we're married, if we're dads and we're married, we need to give our wives the sort of respect that then models for our sons the reality that Jesus counts women just as much as heirs of the covenant as he does men. Um, that they are just as much daughters of the king, they're princesses in the kingdom, as we are princes in the kingdom. That God values these human beings who he's made in his image to the extent that as men, we would we would be we would be it'd be like almost like we're missing a part of us if we didn't have the opposite sex there. We, we, we desperately need these women and we need them not just to be there. Like I said, to fulfill our like carnal desires, if you get what I'm going for here, Um, but we need them there because we need to see Jesus in them. You see, that's the beauty. That's what's so great about, about the gospel. The gospel transforms our relationship so that now there's no longer male or female, you know, Greek, Jew, slave, free man. The gospel transforms our relationship with the opposite sex so that we look at them and we don't think to ourselves, what can I get out of them? We think to ourselves, how can I give myself for them so that they can flourish? I want to just put a plug in here for you. We're not going to talk about the sex question, even though it seems like, well, wouldn't that be obvious? A conversation with dads and sons. (laughs) Shouldn't you talk about that? And I, you know, I felt, I felt like I didn't want to eavesdrop on that conversation as a mother. I want to leave that to Mm. Jessica Thompson, your sister and Mm -hmm. Joel's book. Okay. So if you are interested in hearing some pastoral encouragement and wisdom from Joel and, and from his sister, Jessica on the topic, the book that he mentioned earlier, as he was answering that question is called mom dad what's sex giving your kids a gospel-centered view of sex and our culture so you can check that out on amazon or wherever you buy books but if you want to dig more deeply into that conversation Mm. i would refer you to that book and in the show notes i will link to it as well just to make it easy for you we've got no problem we've got time for a couple more questions so you close out the book with a section on heaven helping dads to address the topic of dying and what it looks like for a believer to have hope in Christ for eternal life. I think that it's easy for us to want to gloss over this conversation by ignoring it completely or by painting heaven as some ethereal place we float around strumming instruments, which (laughs) really doesn't sound all that exciting. Mm -mm. And in fact, your mom, Elise Fitzpatrick, wrote a book called Home that Mm. really helped us, uh, encourages us to use our imaginations when thinking Mm -hmm. about heaven. I think it is so wise to teach a theology of suffering to our children because they are smart and they need to be empowered to engage the world in all of its brokenness by faith in Christ. So why do dads and sons need to invest time in using their imagination when thinking about heaven? Yeah, I think this is super important. Number one, because a lot of times, well, the reality is none of us are guaranteed the next day. And so for dads to talk to their sons and ground their sons uh, in the reality that as a dad, I could die on my way into work. (laughs) I could die tonight in my sleep, not to scare your son, but to give them hope that, man, this isn't all there is. It also helps our sons then get excited about this place where we're going. You know, the reality is I was brought up to think that church was, I, I borrowed my images for church or for, uh, for heaven in two different places. One was cartoons. 
So mm-hmm. it was the full dog like floating on the cloud, like yeah. playing the the harp, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, oh my gosh, like dogs are cool, but not that cool, not like <laughs> eternity cool. Mm-hmm. And sitting on a cloud, maybe a harp, definitely not. Um, and then the other one was by was by the church that I was raised in, and I loved the church I was raised in. You know, I mean, it was a great place and whatever. I had friends there, but I was like, dude, if if heaven is gonna be us just standing around singing like bad vineyard songs and listening to mediocre preaching for eternity. (laughs) Like that is not like, that's not hopeful. Right. I mean, it's better than hell. It's better than burning forever, but it's not really a hopeful place. It dawned on me, this whole concept kind of dawned on me. My friend and I were out, we were walking on a cliff here in Del Mar, speaking about, you know, being ready to die. Uh, We were walking along a cliff here in Del Mar, looking out at the beach. And I looked at him and I said, Brent, this guy was preparing to go be a missionary. I was like, dude, like, it just isn't going to get much better than this. I was like, I really think heaven is going to be like this. Hmm. Me walking with my friend, talking about the glories of God, the beauty of Jesus. And I was like, man, you know, it'd be great because we'll just be walking down this path. And they're like, won't be a train right next to us, you know, to ruin our right. to ruin our, our time. There won't be death. There won't be fallenness. It'll just be beautiful. The waves will always be perfect. It'll be fantastic. And he looked at me and he was like, yeah, you know, I could see that. But like for me, like heaven would actually be a forest. And like a cabin in the forest and me going out mushroom hunting because he loves mushrooms, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, he's like, and us walking in the forest talking about it. When I was a kid, I was getting ready to go to Hawaii and I was surfing all the time back then. And, you know, I went and I looked at pictures of Hawaii. I, I read about different surf spots, things like that, that I wanted to hit up. And all that stuff encouraged me and like got my, my juices going some. But what really got me going was when I laid in bed at night and I imagined the waves. And that made me want to go out and surf more here so that I get good enough that I could surf there, right? It motivated me to like want to do something with that because I had the hope of these phenomenal waves. And when I got there, the waves were better than what I had imagined, right? That in part, I think is what heaven is like. And that in part, is what we give to our sons. We give them this thing where it's no longer like, man, I got to listen to Pastor Joel talk for 40 minutes. Are you kidding me? And then the next pastor gets up and then the next, and then we got to sing some more. No, man, it's, it's, it's the fulfillment of our desires, of our dreams in all of their God glorifying beauty. Um, it's sitting down with Jesus at a table and dining with him, celebrating the marriage feast of the lamb. It's no more tears. It's no more crying. It's no more loss. It's no more saying goodbye. It's all of those things to their fullest, to such an extent that we will never get tired of it. <laughs> never. Like, ever, ever right. get tired of it. That helps us. I mean, this is what the Apostle Paul says, right? We, we, we look at our, our, our suffering that we go through now, and while it's real suffering, it's light and it's momentary. 
in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that's that's just sitting there secured, as Peter says, it's secured for us in heaven by Jesus. You see, that helps our sons. I think when we read our sons and things like uh, very temporary things, like we were talking about before, the performance model, um, their ability to interact with women and have sexual conquest, their ability to have a great job. When we root and ground our sons in those sorts of things, then what ends up happening is those things fail, and then our sons go off the deep end and they lose hope. Whereas when we ground our sons in the beauty of the gospel in light of what Jesus has done for us, then then our sons, yeah, they may still fail. They may still struggle. They may still struggle to like actually figure out how that works, but they have a hope that they can dream about and hold on to that gets them through the difficult training and suffering and pains and problems of this life. That's so good. Really insightful encouragements there for that conversation. Well, we have time for one more question. So I want to go ahead and invite you to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help Project to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening to this episode who is a busy Christian dad wanting to disciple his son. Maybe his work schedule is really busy and he has never led a Bible study before. So he isn't even really sure where to start with his son. He feels like maybe he's not qualified to do it. What would you say to this person to give him the courage he needs to start having life-changing conversations with his son? Yeah, I would say to you, Dad, if you're out there and you're busy and you're tired, like, I get it. I work construction, which means I start. My day, I work in a corporate office for a construction company. My day starts at 6 o'clock in the morning um, because I work with people on the East Coast, and I'm here in San Diego, and my day ends Uh, My day ends around 6 o'clock in the evening uh, when the people in San Diego and the West Coast uh, get off of work. So I get busy. I get tired, right? Um, I get the fear of not knowing what what you um, should do, what what you should say, how you should say it. I understand all of that stuff. I'm right there with you. But you know what's even better than me being with you? Man, the Holy Spirit is with you. And if the Holy Spirit is with you and he's empowering you, then your your conversations with your son, while they may be stilted, while may, they may be uh, messy, while they may not all come out the way you were hoping, um, the beauty is, is that the Holy Spirit will use those things. Use those things, those conversations as a witness of the gospel to your son. And the beauty is your son will feel the warmth and the love of God who is a God who speaks to us through his word and through his preachers, through his ministers. That's the great thing about this. So dad, I would just encourage you, you don't need to have like 45 minute or hour long conversations that like, that encapsulate all the truths of God in one conversation, (laughs) right? Um, Just start off with a good question. Son, tell me about your day. Uh, tell me what's going on. How was your interaction with your friends? How did how did things go? How did that make you feel? And then use those as you listen to your son. Use those um, those answers as clues for where you can take the conversation. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, then dads, uh, you know, pick up the book and just start to walk through these conversations with your son until you get in the rhythm. 
the rhythm's pretty easy to get into once you start to do it, but you need to be intentional. So I would say like for me, I take my son out on walks. I take him over to to our, our local frozen yogurt shop and we sit down and we talk or we go on a walk together and we talk about his day. I engage my son, I play video games with him so that he knows that I'm willing to enter his space and be safe in that space with him. It's about building relationships, so go for it. Last thing I'd say, Dad, is this. Man, if you've, if you've blown off the conversation and your son is 18, boy, you have not missed out. If your son is 26, you haven't missed out. You're still his dad. Um, go and ask for forgiveness from him and, and then start to talk to him in different ways about the things that matter to him. You see, the beauty about a book like this the beauty about something that just pushes us back to the gospel, Dad, is that when you fail, you can know, you can know with certainty that God promises to forgive your sins. And he's done that and he's cleansed you of all unrighteousness. So all of the shame and the, and the fear and the guilt and the frustration and all of those things that come along with feeling like a failure as a dad, Man, God has those, and he loves you, and he looks at you, and when he sees you, he sees the righteousness of his son. Let that, like, just joyous, beautiful thought motivate you to go and love your boy in the same way. Turn around to your son and tell him, man, I love you, and I'm so proud that I'm your dad, and I'm so stoked for the life we get to live together, and and live into these conversations with him. Thank you so much, Joel, for saying all of that. I was even encouraged, and I'm not a dad, but just in general as a person, I was encouraged to listen to all those. So <laughs> so thank you for that. I, I really appreciate it. Now, if there's a dad or mom or just a person listening mm -hmm. to this conversation and they say, man, I have got to have some more Joel Fitzpatrick in my life, <laughs> where can they go? Where can they go to find you online? Yeah, first of all, I'm really sorry if you're thinking that. <laughs> Jeez. Um, but you can find me online. Uh, I'm on all of the social media outlets. So on uh, on Facebook, you can get me at Joel Fitzpatrick. On Instagram and Twitter, uh, you can get me at Joel D. Fitzpatrick, or I'm sorry, Joel D. Fitz. D is my middle name for David. So Joel D. Fitz. And then you can find me online. I have a website. It's joelfitzpatrick.com. CO, not dot com, but just dot CO. Dot com was taken by an artist who's a great artist. So, um, you know, he deserves it. Uh, he deserves the dot com. But you can find me there. You can get my books on that website. You can get them from New Growth Press. Uh, this book you can get from New Growth Press. Or you can find my books on Amazon. Well, thanks again, Joel, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to have such an important discussion with us. I hope that the audience listening today feels encouraged, feels, you know, invigorated, perhaps, or mm. just comforted uh, by the gospel message that you continue to preach pretty much on every single question. So I'm quite impressed, um, <laughs> which is... Dude, I need it so bad. Man, everybody <laughs> needs it. Come on now. Uh, no. Fabio. Uh, yes. Of all people, especially Fabio, I'm sure. <laughs> But in any case, I just, I really appreciate your time. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode, complete with links to Joel's book and other helpful resources. If you enjoyed today's conversation, I would be so thankful if you left a review for the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. 
be sure to subscribe to be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help Project a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. One more thing, if you're looking for gospel hope and help for life's challenging problems, visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash email. I send my email subscribers weekly biblical counseling resources on rotating topics. From videos, audios, articles, and recommended reading, these emails are designed to equip you to discover gospel hope and help in your own life. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help Project.